Assalamu alaikum, hello and welcome to the Voice of Islam Living History Program. My name is Dr. Muhammad Iqbal and I'll be your host for today's program. As listeners will know, the Living History team have been producing a series on the history of Ahmadiyya, or the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, part 1 and Part 2 have already been broadcast on Voice of Islam and are available on the SoundCloud at www.ahmadiyya.com voiceofislam.co.uk under the Living History Programs. Part 1 covered the advent of the promised Messiah and Mahdi, Azad Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community. And Part 2 covered the life and services of Hazrat Malvi Nuruddin, Anhu, the first Khalifa or Caliph who led the community after the death of the founder. The word Khalifa or Caliph literally means successor. Part 3 then covered the life and services of Azad Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed, the second Khalifa or Caliph, and part four of the series covered the life and services of Azad Mirza Nasir Ahmed, the third Khalifa or Caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, whose Khilafat period lasted 17 years from 1965 to 1982. So in today's program, or part five of the series, we are going to cover the life and services of Azad Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth Khalifa or Caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, whose Khilafat period lasted 17 years from 1982 to 2003. To explore the life and services of the fourth Caliph, I'm joined by my fellow panelists, Professor Amir Sharif from the University of Bradford. Assalamualaikum, alaikum And Yusuf Aftab Saab as well, who's our regular panelist. So, Assalamualaikum to both of you. Now, just, just a brief note before we carry on with the program. Please note that... Uh, the Holy Prophet, uh, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, these are terms we use in reference, etc. So we say, peace be upon him, etc. Normally in our writings, in the promised Messiah, we say, alayhi salam, peace be upon him. And with the Khalifas, we say, razi Allah Mullah. But for the sake of brevity, we might not say those because this is a history program. But of course, all reverence uh, is due and paid. So... The birth of Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmadan is Khilafat uh, coincided with two very important historical events which defined the modern world and the success of the Ahmadiyya community across the world. On the day Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad was born, on 18th December 1928 in Qadian, the city, or the town rather, saw the very first train arriving from Amritsar. And Qadian was a very small town indeed. This was a blessed day and it was celebrated because it fulfilled a prophecy of the promised Messiah that a train would come to Qadian in inverted commas here. The fact it coincided with the birth of Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed suggested that just as the train was associated with the rapid movement of people, Ahmadiyyat would spread quickly and widely during the time of Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. And so this was to be the case. The second important historical event that coincided with his Khilafat was the first Muslim satellite television network called Muslim Television Amdiya or MTA that we normally say, which truly fulfilled the prophecy of the promised Messiah in spreading Islam to the corners of the world. Moreover, this also fulfilled a prophecy or prediction of his father, the second Caliph, who in the presence of young Mirza Tahir Ahmed stated, that a time would come when a caliph of the Amdiya community would be in one place and people from all over the world would be able to listen to his broadcast or sermon at the same time. 
Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed was a great orator, a deeply learned scholar of phenomenal intelligence, a prolific and versatile writer, a keen student of comparative religions. And during his period of Khilafat, many new projects and initiatives were launched and we will explore some of these today. So Amir, um, let's start off then from the beginning with his background. Uh, uh, please, if you could just take us through. Thank you, Jazakallah and Salam alaikum to everybody listening. Uh, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed was the grandson, as you may know, of the promised Messiah and Mahdi al-Islam. He was born on 18th December 1928 in Qadian in India to Hazrat Mirza Bashir al-Din Mahmud Ahmed, the promised reformer and the second successor of the promised Messiah al-Islam, and Sayyidah Maryam Begum Saiba. His mother, Sayyidah Maryam Begum Saiba, popularly known after his own name, Ummi Tahir, or Mother of Tahir, was daughter of Hazrat Sayyid Abdus Sattar Shah Sahib. He was a devout companion of the Promised Messiah and Mahdi and had a very special place in the heart of the Promised Messiah. And he spent his early days in the home of the Promised Messiah under the supervision of Hazrat Amir al-Mu'mineen and had a very happy early childhood by all accounts. Subsequently, his mother Sayyidah Maryam Begum Saiba was a great virtuous lady and she earnestly prayed that her son Tahir should grow up and shine as a star in the galaxy of Islam and Ahmadiyyat. And so from an earlier age, his bright eyes and his laughter were a trademark of his character. He had a thirst for knowledge and a very creative mind, and curiosity was something that truly engulfed him. Now, as a small boy, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed wandered around Qadian with friends of his own age, which most youngsters do. Not all of them were Muslims, and indeed the family next door were Hindus with whom young Tahir Ahmed had a very close friendship. Yusuf, again, uh, a very open-minded uh, young uh, person. Absolutely, Iqbal Sabit. Um, you know, as, as a son of a Khalifa, you know, the expectations can be very high. So Mirza Tahir Ahmed knew that he occupied a very privileged position and he expected to be a model of decorum and to shine in his lessons in school. However, the young Mirza Tahir Ahmed loved increasing his knowledge, as we've already heard, but not by studying the recommended school books, um, although his mother wanted him, just I think as many mothers want people to become doctors and engineers, that was what did, was not what interested him. He, his sister Amtul Qayyum recalls that around the age of seven, when he was asked what he wanted to be when he grew up, he replied, I'm going to be a shepherd of people. I will look after them. From an early age, he had an inquisitive mind and was in search for God. He recalls this period and says, I would pray to God. If you exist, then I'm in search of you. Let me know that you are there. Otherwise, I may drift astray. I may not be held responsible. Maybe I am responsible. I would pray, but I think that I should not be held responsible. Then on one afternoon, he received God's answer. He says, I was in a state of semi-consciousness, halfway between a dream and reality. I saw the entire earth squeezed into a ball. There was no creation of any sort visible. No life of cities, nothing, just the earth. Then I saw each particle of the world tremble and burst out into a slogan, Our God. Each particle was proclaiming the reason for its existence. The whole world was flooded with a strange light and every atom of the earth began to swell and contract in rhythm. I found myself repeating the world's Our God. He obtained his um, early education in Talim islam High School in Qadian. And whilst he was sitting his matriculation exam at the age of 15 years, his beloved mother passed away on the 5th of March 1944. 
He was deeply saddened by a demise, as any young child uh, would be, but he took this shocking news with great patience and dignity. He then joined Government College Lahore in 1944 to complete his FSC, and after that he did his BA degree privately. Again, it's a very interesting early childhood in terms of his education. Uh, Professor Amir, if you could take us through. Absolutely. So the education was, of course, a hallmark of uh, his his life, one of the many hallmarks. And at the age of 19 years, he witnessed the independence and partitioning of India and Pakistan. And during this difficult time, he was in the forefront of serving the Jamaat. And after migration, he settled in the newly formed town of Rabwa in Pakistan. He took admission into Jamia Ahmadiyya Missionary College Rabwa on 7th of December 1949 and successfully obtained his degree of Shahid in 1953. In 1954, his father, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Din Mahmud Ahmed, al Masih II, was attacked by a non-Amdi while leading prayers in Masjid Mubarak Rabwa. And as a result of this cowardly act, he became ill and was later advised to go to London to seek the help of specialists. And as uh, many people know, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed was one of the members who accompanied him. His father subsequently advised him to remain behind in the UK to improve his knowledge of the English language and the European social habits. And Mirza Tahir Ahmed secured admission at the famous School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London, where he remained for two and a half years for further education. And he, there, he was very popular in the university. And again, instead of focusing on his own studies, he started meeting new people, visiting different towns and going to new places to improve his general knowledge. He wanted a deep understanding of the English culture, history and geography. And so he actually hitchhiked all over England. Uh, many people don't know this, actually. But by the end of 1957, he had actually seen, seen most of England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and also most of Western Europe. Quite an interesting um, early stages of his life, clearly, and that showed later on when he became a Khalifa, his experience and insight. Now, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed returned to Rabwa on the 4th of October 1957, and in December of that year, he got married to Sayyida Asifa Begum Saiba, the daughter of Saibzadi Amtus Salam and Saibzada Mirza Rashid Ahmed. The nikah was solemnized by his Muslim Audi's father on the 5th of December 1957. He was blessed with four daughters, uh, Saibzadi Shokat Jahan, Saibzadi Faiza, Saibzadi Yasmin Rahman Mona, and Saibzadi Atiyaul Habib Tuba. He was a loving and caring father who took great care in their training and discipline. This was something that shone through uh, but uh, clearly, he was marked for greater things and his responsibilities grew in the Jamaat. Yusuf, if you could take us through some of those. Yeah, so in 1958, Waqf Jadid was established and Hazrat Muslim had appointed um, Hazrat Mirza Tayram and Aziz Nazim Ishad Waqf Jadid. He remained at that post until he was elected as the Khalifa in 1982. And his job was to make sure that the members of the Jamaat were educated. His sole goal here was to have 100% literacy uh, level of uh, amongst all MDs. He estimated that the literacy rate in the entire country of Pakistan was just a mere 27%. His ambition was that every single Ahmadi should have at least high school education. So during his 24-year post in Vukfajadi department, he had the opportunity to travel. And we've already heard he's tra- traveled a lot in Europe uh, to the, and, and, and in the UK and remotest places in Pakistan and Bangladesh. 
He also made good connections in the political world with the key figure Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, who was a leader of Pakistan at that time, requested to see him at least once a month. Gradually, the meetings became infrequent as Bhutto started to cave into the demands of the mullahs in Pakistan and promoted the persecution of MDs. At one stage, Bhutto went to the third Khalifa, Hazamiza Nasir Ahmed, and asked him to tell Hazamiza Thayyar Ahmed to continue his visits, but he was reluctant to Bhutto's attitude towards the persecution. In 1977, Bhutto was overturned by General Zia, and two years later met his death, fulfilling a prophecy of the promised Messiah for his betrayal of the Jamaat. Hazamiza Thayyar Ahmed delivered his first public address in the Jalsa Salana, which is the International Conference of the Jamaat, in 1960. Following this, he delivered a speech at every Jalsa Salana. He had a charming personality, he was a gifted poet and a lively orator, as we've already heard, who always carried the audience with him in every way. Those attending the annual convention made it a special point to listen to his addresses, and I'm sure many here have listened to his speeches and Q&As. In uh, 1962, his popular or famous book, Mazhab Ke Naam Pekhun, um, um, blood in the name of religion, Amir, I think would be the right uh, tra- translation uh, of this was published. And this book was a reminder that the purpose of any religion is the spread of peace, tolerance and understanding. Um, it is a vibrant and lively informed rejection of the philosophy propounded by Maulana Madhudi of Jamaat-e-Islami uh, and many other Muslim thinkers of the time uh, that bis- disbelievers should be given no choice other than to either accept Islam or face the sword. Uh, these people did immense damage to uh, Islam, and this is why this book was a, g- a great response to that nonsense. The author um, uh, proved, that's uh, as the author, proved Madhudi's philosophy mirrored Marxism. The use of force can never be justified by a religion, literally, which means peace. This book became very popular and its English translation was published with some addition as Murder in the Name of Allah in 1989. Um, So Amir again take us through this important period as he took more and more responsibility in the Jamaat. So that responsibility now, as I'll explain, really encapsulated a very active part of, of his life. And so many things then started to happen. So from 1966 to 1969, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed served as president of Khudam al-Ahmadiyya Markaziyya. That's the youth association from 15 to 40. Correct. And it's a central part of the organization of the community's male members between the ages of 15 and 40. And then in 1970, he was appointed as director of the Fazlilmur Foundation. Um, subsequently, in 1974, under the leadership of Hazrat Khalif Al-Masih III, he participated in the great debate as a representative on behalf of the Amdi delegation in the National Assembly of Pakistan. So that was really a very prominent position on the national level. And then internationally, he also travelled to London once again in 1978 to attend the Symposium on the Deliverance of Jesus from the Cross, which was at the Commonwealth Institute in London, which was uh, highly publicised, as some people might know. Then, once more, on 1st of January 1979, Hazrat Mirza Thayyar Ahmed um, was elected, at this time, uh, to a senior position in the community as Sadr Ansarullah Markaziya, uh, again in the central uh, auxiliary organization for the community uh, for men aged over 40 years of age. And he held this position until his election as Khalif al-Masih IV. 
1980, he was appointed patron of the Ahmadiyya Architects and Engineers Society, and in the same year, he was appointed patron of the Worldwide Ahmadiyya Students Association, which progressed enormously under his guidance, again serving to highlight his interest and thirst for knowledge and education uh, globally. In addition, he served the community by running a homeopathic clinic and many persons attending the annual convention or Jalsa Salana recall having been treated by his extant remedies. He also served for many years as Naib Afsar Jalsa Salana Rabwa, again a position of great authority. And from 1980, he travelled throughout Pakistan and started addressing gatherings, holding question-answer sessions at small villages as well as big cities and maybe a shape of things to come. So now we come to uh, his period of Khilafat, which lasted from 1982 to uh, 2003. Um, in the early hours of 9th of June 1982, members of the community received the sad news of the death of Hazrat Mirza Nasir Ahmed, uh, the third caliph. Under the guidance of Saibzada Mirza Khurshid Ahmed Saib and Hazrat Saibzada Mirza Tahir Ahmed, Hazur's body was taken from Islamabad to Rabwa for burial. On the hot and sultry day of 10th June 1982, the Electoral College convened in Masjid Mubarak Rabwa under the chairmanship of Saibzada Mirza Mubarak Ahmed and Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed was elected as the Khalifatul Masih IV. On the same date, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed led the funeral prayers of Hazrat Mirza Nasir Ahmed, the third caliph, who was buried in Beshti Makbra, the heavenly graveyard in Rabba. Uh, and the next day, he delivered his first Friday sermon as the Khalifa of the Amdiya Muslim community in the Masjid Aqsa in Rabwa. So Yusuf, take us through this amazing period of Khilafat um, starting early on. Yeah, so after he assumed the exalted uh, office of uh, Khilafat, as a Khalifa Masih the fourth. He travelled to Europe in 1982 to inaugurate the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, Mosque in Pedrobad, Spain, which is 25 kilometres from Cordoba. The, the foundation stone had been laid by um, Hazrat Khalifa Masih III, Hazrat Mirza Nasser Ahmed, in October 1980, but sadly he passed away before its completion. So on the 10th of September 1982, after a lapse of almost 700 years, Spain, or as known then Andalusia, which was once a Muslim country, saw Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed inaugurate Masjid Basharat in Pedrobad. Members of the Ahmadi Muslim community throughout Europe travelled to witness this historical event. During his tour, Hazur also travelled to Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Switzerland, Holland and the UK. One of the most enduring schemes launched by Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed and one that in many ways characterised his Khilafat was the launch of the Dawat uh, Illah. That's inviting people, inviting people to, people to Allah. Allah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. On 28th of January 1983, this was a scheme that committed every member of the community to become a person who calls others to Allah, thus conveying the message of the true Islam. He believed that in this way, we could raise a, a greater number of preachers than any other religion. Although a lot of progress had been made in the spread of Islam in the West, with the establishment of some major mission houses, and mosques, there was a need to establish them, the Muslim community, more firmly in the East, Yusuf. Yeah, so in August 1983, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed set out on a seven-week tour this time of the East. On 9th of September 1983, he laid the foundation stone of the Ahmadiyya Mosque in Singapore. And in the Lutoka, Fiji, on the 25th of September 1983, then on the 30th of September 1983, he laid the foundation stone 
of Bethel Huda Mosque and Mission House in Sydney. During this visit, he also addressed a crowded press conference at the University of Canberra, where he expounded the beauty of Islamic values. Although the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was spreading its message very successfully throughout the world despite the problems, back in Pakistan, things were being made more and more difficult for the community. After sentencing Bhutto to death, as Ahmed pointed out, Ziaulak now safely installed as President of Pakistan, in 1978 pushed through Parliament a series of laws that created a separate electorate system for non-Muslims, including Ahmadis. Upon the election of Hazmi Zatayr Ahmed as Khalifa, he took steps to win greater favour from the mullahs of Pakistan, so that he, that is Yadid, so that Pakistan could stay in Pakistan, so he could stay in power and alienate the Ahmadiyya Muslim even more. Whilst all this was going on, Khalifat al-Masih IV used the annual convention, which we call the Jalsa Salana, held on 26th to the 26th December 1983, to prepare the worldwide Amdiya Muslim community for the challenges and dangers that lay ahead. More than 275,000 Ahmadis attended this convention, one of the largest ever held and that was to be the very last annual convention held uh, to be held in Pakistan. Amir, this was a traumatic period for the community, but by the grace of Allah, just take us through uh, this period, uh, how the community got through. Absolutely, Dr. Saab. And of course, now this is one of the uh, milestones of the community and of its history, because now we come to the anti-Amdiya Ordinance 20 and the migration of Khalif Tumasi the fourth to the UK. So in 1984, Pakistan's constitution was amended once more. And on the 26th of April 1984, General Ziaul Haq issued the notorious Anti-Amadiyya Ordinance, or Ordinance 20, rendering it a criminal offence, punishable with fines and imprisonments for Ahmadis to engage in certain acts of worship or use certain Islamic terminologies. So this was made national law at that time so much so that no Amdi could declare himself or herself a Muslim. This meant that Amdis could not recite the Quran or call the Azan, which we know as the call to prayer, before Salat times. They could not even display the Kalam or offer the Islamic greeting, Assalamu Alaikum, to anyone. These are, of course, central to being a Muslim. And the contravention of these regulations by Amdis would uh, carry heavy fines or imprisonment or both. So thousands of Amdis were thrown behind bars under these draconian and unjust laws, and some, unfortunately, are still incarcerated in Pakistani jails. So at this time, Hazrat Khalif al-Masih IV was still living in Rabwa, still in Pakistan, where the head offices of the movement are located. General Ziaul Haq ordered that Hazur should not be allowed to leave the country under any circumstances. So, personnel were assigned to all the exit routes in Pakistan to keep a watchful eye for Hazur. The plan hatched by Zia was to capture the head of the movement because he knew it would ultimately peter out the community. Then begins a very uh, fantastic journey, if you like, and the establishment of the Jamaat in the UK, but the propagation of the Jamaat and its future success started. After Isha, the night prayers on 28th of April 1984, at the Masjid Mubarak in Rabwa, he addressed the worshippers and on 29th uh, April 1984, uh, Khalifa al-Masih IV left his home in Rabwa. His KLM flight from Karachi was delayed by about an hour. 
Now, this delay had been due to his presence. The immigration officers had in front of them a letter issued directly from General Zial Haq, and it, and it stated very clearly with the words, Mirza Nasir Ahmed, who calls himself Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya movement, should not be allowed to leave Pakistan. Now, we can see straight away there, there is a slight difference in the name, but that was the order that was issued. And General Zia, um, as a result, had been used to dealing with the third Khalifa most of the time. And so the name written on the letter was that of Mirza Nasir Ahmed. But of course, the Khalifa had changed. The fourth Khalifa's passport stated quite clearly that his name was Mirza Tayyar Ahmed and that he was the head of the Ahmadiyya movement. So a clear difference. So during the hour they had waited, Passport Control had tried to contact someone in Islamabad to sort out this confusion. But at two o'clock in the morning, no one could be reached who could solve this problem. So there was no official information that the Khalifa was on his way to Islamabad as another car had left for Islamabad from Rabwa, which was actually taking Huzur's brother Sahibzada Mirza Munawar Ahmed. The immigration officers therefore made the decision that they had in front of them uh, must have been an out-of-date order, and the rest is history as we know. Uh, it's just an amazing it event, is. isn't it? Well, and a lot of plans for his beloved ones. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, so Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih IV arrived miraculously in London safely on 30th April 1984 by the KLM flight via Holland. He immediately summoned a meeting of the community and asked the members to be steadfast and to prepare for the challenges ahead. The first Friday sermon delivered in London after his arrival in the UK was at the Fuzzle Mosque on 4th May 1984. And I think we all remember that uh, event. It was just absolutely amazing. Uh, whilst in London, he lived in Southfields uh, at the uh, Fuzzle Mosque complex. And from here, he launched several landmark initiatives that resulted in an unprecedented expansion of the community. On the 20th of July 1984, the government of Pakistan issued its white paper, terming the Amdiya community a 90 years cancer that had to be terminated. Hazrat Mizza Tayyar Ahmed, Khalifat al-Masih IV, rose to the challenge and through a series of sermons, he minced no words and pulled no punches as he produced evidence and destroyed piece by piece, each false allegation leveled against the founder of the community or its beliefs. These sermons were later published as a book, um, The Haqqa al-Batil. Uh, this was further supplemented by appeals made to leading parliamentarians, human rights organizations and Amnesty International and his trusted friend, Mr. Aftab Ahmed Khan, the Amir of the UK. And Brother Saibzada Mizam Zafar Ahmed, the Amir of the USA, assist him in this work. This is probably uh, a good place for us to have a break. Inshallah, we will carry on uh, after the break uh, with the amazing period of Khilafat under Hazrat Mirza uh, Tahir Ahmed. So, um, Inshallah, we'll be back in a short while. Just a reminder, please do let us have your feedback at our hashtag at VI Living History. And also visit uh, the website www.voiceofislam.co.uk and under the programs you'll see Living History and all the 40, 43 programs or whatever numbers we've reached so far. You'll be able to listen to them at your own leisure. So inshallah we will see you shortly. Anur. The light. The one who illuminates all with his divine light. 
Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Assalamualaikum and welcome back to the second part of the life and services of Hazrat Zatair Ahmed, the fourth caliph of the Amdi Muslim community. So in the first part, um, Amir and Yusuf, we, uh, I think, give uh, listeners a good feel of uh, the background to uh, Hazur. And we finished off with his miraculous arrival uh, to the UK because of the persecution in Pakistan. And in many ways, Yusuf, this was a blessing for the UK community and also for the global community as well. Just take us through that momentous period. Yeah, I was just a baby at that time. I'm <laughs> sure you guys know a great amount, but... Uh... Um, you know, upheaval of moving from from Pakistan as the headquarters and then establishing in 1984 when Hazur arrived um, and creating new Jamaat headquarters uh, in the UK. So there was an immense pressure on, on the... Although on the UK Jamaat had been established, established since the 20s, but this was now essentially absolutely. the international uh, Yeah, and, and, and the oh, transfer sorry, yeah, of information yeah. across there. So due to the size of the anticipated events and the prospect of arranging for huge gatherings with visitors from all parts of the world, flocking to see their beloved Khalifa because they've never see, seen their Khalifa embassy. He's always been in Pakistan. It was quickly realized that a large plot of land was needed. So after a brief search, soon an ideal plot of land just 30 miles from South London was found in Tilford, Surrey. The site of the old Sheep Hatch School, which had closed in 1977, was acquired. In 1984, it was named Islamabad. The school was built in 1939 and provided a nice secluded setting for about 350 students housed in wooden barracks and the 25-acre land surrounded by trees. The facilities needed a lot of repair and the grass had grown out of control requiring the hard work of many Kudam. These are youngsters in the organisation, as Ahmed had already said, from the age of 15 to 40, and contractors to bring it into some sort of shape for large gatherings. The first annual convention was held at this site in 1985 and in the years to come, Islamabad would be stretched to its limits as annual conventions of Jilsa Slana grew into an event attracting upwards of 25,000 visitors. Hazrat Khalif the fourth grew very fond of Islamabad as he found it a great retreat from the noise and bustle of London when he attended events. He would stay in the house of Islamabad and in the mornings after Fajr prayers, he would often go for a walk in the country. Islamabad much loved by him during his lifetime and also had the honour to become his burial place after his demise. You know, one of the most amazing things about him was how he could engage with young people. And that's where we, I mean, you know, we, we remember when he came over. And I know you were very young. But he had a very deeply inspiring sort of knowledge of the Holy Quran as well because he was such a versatile thinker as well. And he knew, uh, brought new uh, insights into the Holy Quran and uh, he worked on a number of translations in both English and uh, Urdu. He um, diligently added footnotes uh, to the English translation of the Holy Quran. Uh, that was in- initially done by Azat Molvi Sherali many years earlier. Uh, true to the actual meaning and without adding an explanatory commentary where uh, necessary. After establishing the offices in London, Azur paid special attention to making the new translations of the Holy Quran into major languages of the world. And during his 21-year period of caliphate, the Holy uh, Quran was translated and published in 57 languages. Some of the languages are Albanian, Chinese, Danish, Dutch, German, Polish, Norwegian, Japanese, 
Malay, Nepalese, Russian, Tamil and Yoruba uh, African uh, language. And in addition, selected verses were also translated into uh, 117 languages. I said 21 year of Caliphate. I mean, I'm not sure because some say 17. But anyway, I think the period we said was 82 to 2 or 3. So the, right. listeners yeah. can work it out for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> about about 20 years, we can say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, you know, one of, one of the really memorable things that Azu started uh, upon his arrival was um, uh, work to help humanity. And one of the ways was to raise money through uh, charity and the great uh, marathon walk. So I'm going to take us through that momentous occasion because I remember the very first marathon walk, which I'm sure you will as well. Absolutely. So sp- uh, sports and general exercise was something, a hallmark again. Another great hallmark of Khalifa Rabbi the Fourth, a caliph of the of the community, and in pursuit of this aim of general engagement with the community and with society in 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 more wider terms, Hazur formally launched the annual charity Marathon Walks, and the first event was held in Islamabad in 1985. And these marathon walks, charity walks, are still a hallmark of our community, as many people know. And it's not just for our community, it's for all all walks of community, which is something really momentous. Mm. Uh, and the event has had the grace of God um, seeing it increase from strength to strength, allowing hundreds of thousands of pounds to be raised for, for national and local charities since its inception. Again, very, very well publicized, very well recognized by people outside of the community as well as a notable contribution that the community makes, the Ahmadiyya community makes, to the general well-being of society. And we're very proud of that, of course. So Hazur was always very fond uh, of, of exercise, of traveling, of meeting people, of connecting with society. And he wanted to motivate and inspire Ahmadis to convey the message of Islam, Ahmadiyyat, personally in this way. And uh, what a great example and exemplar he was in that. And one example we have, in September 1985, uh, Hazur visited several European countries opening new missions in Holland, Belgium and West Germany uh, to declare them open. In addition to holding his own popular question and answer sessions, four press conferences were addressed. And again, some of these are milestone events and very well uh, recognized and documented sessions they were. Then in 1986, from August to October, Hazur visited Canada, Holland, West Germany, Switzerland, Italy and Spain, where he met eminent personalities and also the press. And during the tour on 20th September 1986, he laid the foundation stone of the first Ahmadiyya Mosque, Battle Islam, in Maple, Ontario, Canada. And in uh, 1987, he traveled twice to European countries, the USA and Canada as well. So all of these international tours were groundbreaking in the sense that many new missions were inaugurated and established, and the general profile of Jamaat Ahmadiyya, the, the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam, was, was set up, and that connection was made with society through a cross-section of meeting with eminent persons and members of, of communities. He conveyed to them the Islamic teachings in, in a, I would say, we would all agree, right, a very, very persuasive way. He was a very charismatic individual. And so he was hailed in many cities of America, including Washington, D.C., where the day of his visit was actually declared uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmed Day, which is one thing that I didn't know. So Amazing. We, yeah. we learn all of these things all the time. So no matter where he traveled, uh, Hazur was always concerned about the suffering of Amdis in Pakistan. And on the 14th of March, 1986, he launched the Sayyidina Bilal Fund 
for the for families and dependents of those Ahmadis who had been martyred or were held prisoners as a result of their preaching activities against the Ordinance 20 in Pakistan. Uh, Huzur felt very deeply about these innocent victims of oppression and was known to spend the whole night in prayer for them. And Huzur invited members on a strictly voluntary basis to contribute to this fund and members responded generously. Indeed, uh, Azur also kept a close contact with the prisoners and their families and those of the martyrs uh, as well. He was dearly, he was touched by the sufferings uh, and the courage of many of these people. He would earnestly pray for them and would request others to pray uh, for them also. During uh, the fourth uh, caliph of Azur, uh, 3,291 cases were filed against innocent Ahmadis, including 16 cases against Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih IV himself. Uh, one case was filed against all the 50,000 residents of uh, Rabwa. This is how the stupidity really spread uh, throughout Pakistan against uh, Ahmadis. Um, then we also come to the first visit uh, of Azur to West Africa in 19. Uh, 88. Uh, uh, in January 1988, he set his foot in West Africa for the first time, as I said. And this tour of six countries spanning over five weeks was highly successful. Tumultuous welcome greeted him everywhere. The Gambia, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Ivory Coast, Ghana, and Nigeria. Various presidents, ministers, and parliamentarians and paramount chiefs met him. And you know, I was lucky to see those videos at first hand and I did the commentary on those in my young days you know, when Saki Saab had accompanied him and Majid Saab was the, currently the, you know, heading Tabshiri in the UK. So it was an amazing visit uh, to see all those people. But Yusuf, take us through this. Um, yeah, and, and I think people will realise here that how Allah opens up avenues for his Khalifa and, and, and the prestige um, that is given. So the president of Sierra Leone was with him for just half an hour and he offered him the use of his personal helicopter and also assigned a police personnel for his security. Throughout the country, the, the government made main arrangements for his stay. Likewise, the government of uh, Liberia provided him use of two chauffeur-driven cars as well as a police squad for security duty. There was a meeting with the president and vice presidents of Ghana. In almost all these countries, radio and TV gave ample appreciative coverage of Hazu's activities. Medical and educational institutions provided by the movement for the benefit of the people were highly praised. Returning from this talk, Hazur proclaimed, I perceive light, not darkness, in this continent. Many outsiders came here and exploited the people. The wealth of Africa was used elsewhere. Allah has inspired a plan in my mind that the Ahmadiyya movement would procure funds elsewhere in the world but utilise here in Africa. So Huzur created an exclusive department and charged it with the fostering and renaissance and the revival of African people. He also urged Amadi doctors, teachers and specialists in other fields to offer themselves for the service in Africa. So in August, September 1988, he travelled to East Africa, Mauritius. This was the first time ever that an Ahmadiyya Khalifa had travelled to this part of the world. He visited Kenya, Uganda... Tanzania, as well as the Mauritius, several mosques were inaugurated and many MDs got the opportunity of meeting the Khalifa and benefit from his sublime discourses. So now we come to one of the most interesting phases, phases of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and that is the 
Mobaila challenge or the prayer duel um, in response to the persecution of Ahmadis in Pakistan. This was against Zia and many of the uh, other people. Um, throughout the 1980s, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Pakistan displayed amazing steadfastness and spirit of sacrifice in the face of persecution under the cruel rule of Pakistan's dictator General Ziaul Haq. The community in Pakistan stood firm like a rock loyal to every command of their Khalifa who guided them from the UK. The machinations, intrigues and campaigns of derision were met with fortitude, highest grade of virtues and beneficence reminiscent of the earliest Muslims in Islamic history. However, Zia was becoming more and more intolerable and under Allah's guidance, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad the fourth caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community declared on the 10th of June 1988 that enough was enough. On that blessed Friday, in accordance with Islamic practice, Azur issued a mobile challenge, which as I say means the prayer duel, to Ziaul Haq and the enemies of Amdiya in Pakistan. As the head of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazmiza Tahir Ahmad Sahib said, and I quote, I, therefore, as the Imam of the Amdiya Jamaat, by virtue of this writing hereby, announce that if you are true in your accusations and fear God, then without any hesitation, come forward and join me in this prayer of Mubaila, that may the curse of Allah be on the liars. Amir, it really was a momentous occasion and uh, the results were amazing, but just take us through. Amazing, extraordinary. And this is, again, very, very historic historic challenge, uh, but out of complete sincerity based upon faith and uh, truthfulness. So the matters between the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the leadership of Pakistan were now to be judged ultimately by Allah, by God, the best of judges. The prayer duel named the leading enemies of Ahmadiyyat individually, including some of the editors of the opposition newspapers. However, at the top of the list was the name of the president of Pakistan, General Ziaul ul Haq, who, as president, had made so much opposition and persecution a direct mandated part of law in Pakistan. So the prayer duel focused on the refutation of the claim made by Pakistani authorities against Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed that he had personally conspired in the abduction and murder of a mullah opponent, Maulana Aslam Qureshi, as well as all of the other elements of uh, Ordinance 20. One month after the prayer duel, the supposed victim of the atrocities of Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, Maulana Aslam Qureshi, miraculously reappeared in Pakistan alive and well. So we can see immediately there, something was strange, something was afoot, this was not right. And this was broadcast widely across Pakistan, and at least the public came to know that the accusations against Hazur and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community were completely false, and that the mullahs turned out to be complete liars. I mean, this was totally extraordinary turn of events. Uh, and again, this you have to remember, this was at the behest of the government of Pakistan. So... Even then, meanwhile, General Ziaul Haq showed more and more arrogance, and with his in- increasing cruelty against Ahmadis, uh, during Friday sermon of 12th of August 1988, Hazrat Khalifa al-Musi IV announced that Ziaul Haq had been given enough time to repent, and now he could not escape the wrath of God Almighty. And the decreed afflictions of the prayer duel, or as we know now, this is called Mubala, will definitely strike him. Hence, and exactly five days later, on 17th August 1988, 
General Zialhaq, together with some of his key military colleagues, the American ambassador and the CIA representative in Pakistan, perished in a horrifying air crash. Zia blown out of the sky was how one UK newspaper reported it. Indeed, all that could be found to identify General Zialhaq were some remains of his teeth. Despite every effort by investigators from the US and elsewhere, they could not work out how the plane blew up. However, for members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, it was a great sign, a clear sign of Allah's support and a sign of the truth of Ahmadiyyat. This is how Allah uh, really turns to uh, help those who serve him, who love him, who stand firmly uh, for the truth that uh, Allah conveys. So um, this was something for Pakistanis and other Muslims to reflect on. Meanwhile, the Amdiya Muslim community was marching forward and they were preparing for the centenary celebrations. And on the 23rd of March, 1989, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad Khalifa masih the fourth led the community in the Thanksgiving celebrations to mark the first centenary of the Amdiya Muslim community. 100 years ago, on 23rd March, 1889, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad founded the Amdiya Muslim community a community that had now spread throughout the world and that was seen as the true representative and champion of Islam. Azura had issued instructions throughout the world for marking this historic event and grand ceremonies were planned and took place in almost 100 countries in which eminent leaders were invited, um, including newspapers, radio and television, which carried uh, news prominently. Islamic literature prepared for this occasion was distributed to the general population. So again, a great occasion for us all. Yusuf, just take us through that period as well. I absolutely remember this. Um, you know, as, as young children, we were in the mosques preparing for this centenary celebrations. And I remember these white tops that were created and, and uh, with the maps of the Jamaatan and uh, uh, singing of uh, Nizams, etc. So there, to, to mark the occasion itself, Azur produced a special address for the members and the rest of the world in which he conveyed the message of the promised Messiah and the Mahdi Islam invited people to join the fold of Ahmadiyyat in these words, quote, It is to this Islam that I invite mankind. I am fully aware that in the eyes of many cursory observers, Ahmadiyyat not as yet emerged as a potent force to bring about a global, moral and spiritual revolution. Yet our trust is in God. Weak and humble though we are, God has graciously chosen as his instruments to usher in a new era of global peace and unification of mankind. All Ahmadis offered special prayers for the progress of the Jamaat and made a vow to continue their efforts in bringing the victory of Islam a step closer. Sadly, the Pakistan authorities put on a ban on the celebrations in Rabwa and ridiculous restrictions were imposed throughout Pakistan. However, the spirits of the community in Pakistan and throughout the world could not be dampened, as they saw Khalifat al-Masih, the fourth addressing members and leading political and media figures across the world. Two years later, in December 1991, Hazrat Mizatayram travelled to India to celebrate the 100th annual convention in Gardian, the birthplace of the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the original headquarters. After partition of India and Pakistan in 1947, this was the first occasion that the soil of Gardian was once again blessed with the presence of a caliph. Thousands of Ahmadis from India, UK, Germany, the USA, Canada, Japan, Australia, Indonesia and African converged upon Gardian. They met Hazur and visited holy sites 
Hazur's speeches were televised all over the world. Hazur also offered supplications at the tomb of the Promised Messiah. Now, one of the uh, things um, that was remarkable for Hazur was that his guidance to the Amdiya community was, you know, as expected, absolutely brilliant. But he cared deeply for the rest of the Muslim world as well. And it pained him to see, you know, the fighting between Iran and Iraq for over 10 years nearly. And then just towards the end of that, you had the silly satanic verses episode as well, which was damaging Islam. And even the response of the Muslim world was really not up to the mark. And he provided amazing guidance in relation to that, how we should write and defend Islam, etc. So I may again take us through this period as well of his deep love for Muslim world and Islam and how we should defend it. Absolutely. So just as the Muslim world was coming to terms with the fallout from the Rushdie affairs, you've just said, Dr. Saab, uh, an even bigger problem appeared on the horizon in 1919 in the Middle East. And of course, that was what we now know as the first uh, Gulf War. So the whole world witnessed Iraq's surprising invasion and the annexation of Kuwait on the 2nd of August 1990. And the following day, exactly the following day, the supreme head of the Amdiya community began a series of 17 sermons on this very issue, again, seeking to bring together the worldwide Muslim community, not just the Amdiya community. And these sermons were compiled and are presented in the book The Gulf Crisis and the New World Order, written by Hazur. So Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed Uh, unmask the injustices and double standards of both the Muslim world and Western nations in that book. And in his Friday sermon of 3rd August 1990, Hazur stated, I feel that this period of adversity and decline and these repeated miseries are the consequence of the Muslim denial of His Holiness, the prom- promised Messiah. There is no doubt about it. Therefore, my message to you is that you should submit yourselves to the Imam of the age, Accept that one who was sent by God. He is the one who has the ability to lead you. Without him and separated from him, you are like a body which has no head. It's a very, very powerful word. It's a very, very powerful message to the uh, Muslim Ummah worldwide. Mm. And so in his Friday sermon of 17th August 1990, Hazur also stated very clearly, the non-Muslim nations are busy making tall claims in the name of justice as if they have been appointed the sole custodians of justice in the world and that justice would become extinct but for the might of these nations. On the other hand, Muslim countries are making tall claims in the name of Islam. But when you hold these claims being made on either side, when you hold them up to scrutiny, you discover that these are equally devoid of the elements of justice that are laid down by the Holy Quran and therefore that are laid down by Islam itself. Unfortunately, Hazur's advice to the Muslim world went unheeded and things continued to go from bad to worse. And just as the Western powers had finished destroying Iraq, trouble was brewing in the Balkans for the Slavic Muslims in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Following the war between uh, Bosnian Muslims and Serbians, there was a massive humanitarian crisis in 1992. And again, Hazur uh, rose to this challenge as well. And during this uh, period, he founded a relief organization by the name of Humanity First, which has grown, as you both know, from strength to strength. Its mission was to help ease the suffering and create a sustainable future for the victims of war, aggression, famine and natural disaster. A number of large convoys were sent to Bosnia from Britain and other parts of Europe, which provided immense help and relief. This had culminated in the delivery of food, medicine and clothing to many refugees who had been homeless. 
Today, this humanitarian organization has sent huge consignments of food, clothing and medicine to many countries, including Bosnia, Kosovo, Sierra Leone, Liberia and Tanzania, and even far out places like Japan and other places where earthquakes have taken place that provided help. The community is actively providing help to the needy and the poor in third world countries uh, as well. And then, of course, we come to one of the most important launches and initiatives in the Amdiya Muslim community, the launch of MTA International. Um, under uh, Azu's guidance, MTA became the first TV channel to broadcast Islamic programs globally. MTA's first channel was launched on the 31st of January 1992, broadcasting the weekly Friday sermon. And then on the 31st of December 1993, he delivered his Friday sermon in Mauritius, and Muslim television Amdiya commenced its 12-hour coverage on satellite on the 1st April 1996, uh, and then later on, the 24-hour broadcasts were made. And this was followed by MTA being launched on the Sky platform uh, as a free-to-air channel, which we all watch. Uh, so an amazing period, uh, Yusuf. Uh, yeah, and, and so many programmes on MTA, and, and Hazur really enjoyed you know, participating and actively putting the programmes together. And one of one of these key ones was the... Work for no children is a you know it's a scheme. Uh, parents dedicating their children for the purpose of Islam and Madiyat. So, Hazur, in anticipation of this, in third third of uh, April nineteen eighty seven, launched this scheme, knowing that uh, the challenges that were going to pose the community as they went forward. Initially, you know, um, he had a target of five thousand, which was met, and then that two two years later, that was increased to fifteen thousand, which again was surpassed. In the 1992, a separate vakalat was created, uh, you know, an administrative body to look after these uh, children. Um, and Hazur gave detailed guidance himself on the training of these children and developed a very close relationship and bond with them. On uh, February the 12th, 1994, um, Hazur started a series of lectures, his love of the Holy Quran and on the exegesis of the Holy Quran. Uh, these discourses again were televised in multiple languages on MTA, and they were translated, so English, Russian, Arabic, Bosnian, and French. And Muslims across the world uh, enjoyed Hazu's vast um, gems of wisdom on, on the Holy Quran. Again, uh, there were lots of programs uh, uh, that Hazu uh, uh, did. Uh, Amir, I mean, he wasn't formally a scientist, but uh, his question-answer sessions covered such a vast uh, area uh, do you want to share some th- thoughts and insights into those? And as we've all been saying here, you know, I, we all have fond memories of Hazur. We've seen his question answer sessions. We may have even taken part or been there, uh, you know, throughout all of that. And this this element of education, interest in knowledge and philosophy and science was something very natural uh, for him. So he had a philosophical bent of mind. And um, as a layman, he became a, a sort of a scientist uh, like like that interest in science and interest in knowledge and life sciences uh, attracted him deeply and he had a deep knowledge of human psychology as well. He has had an amazing analytical mind of high intelligence, as you said, Dr. Sab, even though he wasn't classically trained as a scientist, he actually um, connected with that way of thinking uh, almost naturally and leaving his listeners and readers spellbound. He had that authority about him. I mean, both his uh, lectures as well as his book, uh, Rationality, uh, what's the... the Revelation yeah. Rationality and I knowledge. mean, that had some deeply scientific concepts uh, c- covered in that. Uh, and, you know, another thing that I think we are lucky 
uh, in the UK is that because the headquarters moved to the UK in many respects, uh, of course, Rabwa always remained the um, sort of the traditional headquarters, but because of Azur's uh, presence. The annual conventions in the UK attracted people from all over the world, and with Azur being here, the UK conventions became such a major feature and quite a challenge for the Amir of the UK and his team and all of us really uh, living here. I think we're coming towards uh, the e- end of the program, so really just to move towards the last stages. Uh, I mean, there's so much to say. You know, alislam.org provides so much about his life, his books, his sermons, his programs, etc. So listeners who want a lot more in-depth uh, the coverage. Um, so we move towards the last phase of his life, and Nazrat Mizat Ahmed Khalifat al Masih delivered his last Friday sermon at the London Mosque on the 18th of April, 2003. And that same evening, he attended a lively Majlisid fan question and answer session. Uh, and the next morning at 9:30 a.m. on the 19th of April, 2003, he passed away in his residence in the Lilai um, the local authorities honoured him with a historic police escort down the A3 from the London Mosque to Islamabad, where he was uh, buried. After his burial, his wife joined him as well, because initially she'd been buried at, in a separate, so both of them there. And many members now go to Islamabad to pay their respects and uh, offer prayers. So really, in summary, Azat Mizat Ahmed's leadership was characterised by a vibrancy and dynamism that became the hallmark of his 21-year tenure of office. He made himself accessible to members of the community through his extensive travels worldwide, his indefatigable efforts on behalf of the community inspired its members to attain new heights, resulting in a period of tremendous progress in many fields. You know, Yusuf, yourself as a young person, Amir, yourself, you know, we, we basically grew up under his shadow. And honestly, Correct. I mean, I, I certainly my life was totally, totally transformed by Azur's presence and uh, uh, guidance. So we were so lucky. We were so inspired um, by his presence and by the uh, direct guidance. Through his own noble example, he knew the spirit of commitment and service amongst all his um, followers. Foremost amongst his achievements was the creation of an international satellite, as we mentioned, the MTA, Muslim Television uh, uh, Amdia, this channel now broadcasts and people can see it on Sky as well. 731 currently, I know occasionally they <laughs> change. It, it's, it, yeah. it, it's a 731. His question and answer sessions are available on the internet as well on a regular basis. Translations in so many different languages. Um, we mentioned the Revelation, Nationality, Knowledge and Truth book, which again is a masterpiece, really. So I, I think uh, uh, listeners will have plenty to uh, have a go at if they go to the Al-Islam uh, website. Uh, and, you know, so many tributes were given. You know, we don't have time, but Tom Cox gave an amazing tribute, as did Lord Avery upon his uh, passing away, um, uh, Lord Jeffrey Philkin, and many, many others from all over the world. May Allah bless the community and may we follow our Khalifa's guidance. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this program. Do please give us your feedback. Uh, at Voice of Islam Living History or VI Living History is our hashtag and do go to the website www.voiceofislam.co.uk and listen to our recorded programs. Inshallah, we will be presenting some new programs very soon. Until then, assalamu alaikum.